surrendering in adversity. And we're seeing that now as um, David is learning these lessons and surrender during this time of life where he is on the run, on the run from King Saul when maybe he believed at, at this point in his life that things would have been working out by now. Samuel, the prophet, had anointed him to be king over all of Israel. Perhaps David at this point in his life is disheartened that things are not working out the way he thought they would. We could learn a lot from these next chapters on surrendering to God even when things are not the best. When trials amidst us, and even now in the situation that we're in, so if you have your Bible again, 1 Samuel 25, we're going to begin with verse 1 in the New King James Version. It says this, Then, referring to after David escaped from Saul once again and spared Saul's life when he had the opportunity to take Saul's life, but he wouldn't go against the Lord's anointed. It says in verse 1, Then Samuel died. And the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. We see here the prophet Samuel. He passed away now. And this was the prophet who began to hear the voice of the Lord at such a young age. He listened to God, and God spoke to him. This is the prophet who oversaw Israel's turning from a theocracy to a monarchy as they turned away from letting God govern them as a nation. Samuel, he spoke to God, and God spoke through him. Samuel was the prophet who anointed Saul and David to be king over Israel. He was greatly used by God. He died with God, and God kept him. So now, as Samuel died, David, he goes to Paran, perhaps to mourn the loss of Samuel, or maybe to avoid Saul at this point of time in his life. And David, he is a man of the wilderness. In these seasons of his life, David is learning what it is like to survive in the wilderness. God is preparing him for the future. We're going to see that take a, a huge role in his life of how David was a man of the wilderness, made king. In verse 2, Now there was a man in Maon, whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And we, he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. So we have now these two characters that are introduced. One, Nabal, described as a very rich man, 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. But the Bible teaches that he was harsh and evil. He was of the house of Caleb, which would have made him of the tribe of Judah, the same tribe as David. Now, his wife, Abigail, she was a complete opposite. She's a, a woman of good understanding, insightful with wisdom, successful, and the Bible says that she was beautiful in appearance. It's kind of like that classic, sometimes you see the, the movies or the, the TV show sitcom where they, they have a, a woman who, who's thin and then they have the fat guy who's supposed to be funny. And I'm like, how did this guy... Get, find this woman who, he, he was a harsh man, yet he found a wife, a beautiful character. 
Now in verse four, when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent 10 young men and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you, peace to your house and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us and we did not harm them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes. For we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your servant David. So David here sends the, these group of 10 men seeking provisions for his men as a leader looking out for those who followed him. And notice he, he told his men to call himself one of Nabal's sons, being that he was from the tribe of Judah. But we see that in that, that phrase, I, I would be your son David, the humility in David's character one of his traits. Again, in verse eight, now being that Nabal was shearing the sheep, that we see this in verse eight, this actually would have been a, a huge uh, like festivity. Uh, when they were, whenever they would shear their sheep, they would invite the men and to, to do all this cutting work of the sheep. And they would have a, a, a lot of food and these celebrations, excess food, so there would have been a large gathering and, and they would have had plenty of food left over to help provide for, for David and especially being that Nabal was a rich man. Now in verse nine, so when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words and the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away from each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? Look at Nabal's character here. This man with excess and much provision won't give to these men who are hungry. Remember, these were the men who were in debt who came to David. These were the men who were discontented. They were his, his rugged crew. And they were looking for provision, and this man Nabal wouldn't give it to them. In, in this time, too, there, there's a lot of, what in the world we live in right now, uncertainty about provision. Perhaps God has blessed you. This would be a, a, a lesson for us to make sure that when our brother, our sister, our, even our enemy comes to us in need, if God has blessed you, then love your neighbor. In verse 14, now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them. When we were in the fields, they were a wall to us both by night and day. All the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. So now Abigail's servants, they are, they're coming to her, Nabal's servants, and they're saying, look, this is what Nabal is doing. It's, it's, it's wrong. David's men looked after us. They were good to us. And Nabal is a scoundrel, and that word for scoundrel, 
the literal meaning is, is a son of a worthless man. This is what his own servants thought of him. What do your peers think of you? How is your character? In verse 18, then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, go on before me, see I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill and there were David and his men coming down toward her and she met them. You see, here we see an example of what happens when the man in a household fails to lead his house in the fear of the Lord, fails in leading by the Spirit, and fails in showing compassion by the Spirit. See, as men, we are called to guide our families under submission to the Lord. But if the man won't take that role, then the wife must. And if not the wife, then pray that the child would lead as being submissive to the Lord and still honoring the parents. You see, Satan right now, he's seeking to destroy the family unit. And he's going to do that in however he can. We know that he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So what do we do to protect our families? Well, the Bible teaches us, submit to God, resist the devil, and he shall flee. You see, in the household, the way God set it up was that the man, equal with the wife, would be the head of the house to lead different roles. So man first needs to submit to God. And this is what Nabal was failing in. His character was known as being harsh. You see, our our character, that's what people know of us. It's what we're known around as. But our integrity You see, that's what angels and demons know of us. That's what most people don't see behind the closed doors. And Nabal was failing here. In verse 21, Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, And he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also, to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. See, David here now, we see his short fuse at times. He was a man of war. And now when he's uh, threatened with his men, Uh, failing from possible starvation in in a time when they're in need, the first thing he does is he goes to the sword. This isn't a example of how we should be at times. This is the Bible teaching us that David himself was a man with a short fuse. He was a man of war when Saul offered his daughter as a wife. He said, first, go bring me a hundred Philistines, foreskins. And David, as this man who is a man of war, went out and brought back 200. He was a man of blood. Later on in his life, because he was a man of blood, the Lord would prohibit him from building the, the temple of the Lord. So we see that even as David was a man anointed of the Lord, a man after God's own heart, 
he still failed at times also. And he's learning these lessons in the time when it seems like he doesn't have provision. Let's look at verse 23. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed to the ground. Now she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Nabal, that name literally translated, it means fool or even stupid. And this is what his own wife is saying about him. I I wonder what were his parents thinking when they named him Nabal, fool? Perhaps that the way that he was brought up has a lot to do with why he was such a harsh man. Foolish. A scoundrel. But you know, even in the situation that were dealt, the cards that were dealt in life, when you submit to the Lord, He makes all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So just because our surroundings are full of evil and of wickedness, doesn't mean that's what you have to be. God can give you a new life and a new spirit, a new character. Look at verse 26. As as Abigail is is pleading with David now. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself, with your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. See, here Abigail, showing wisdom, is being an intercessor. And there are times, so many times, when God sends his intercessors to keep evil from occurring. You see, we ourselves have the opportunity to intercede on behalf of others in prayer. And literally, too, in times when we, we can stop someone from their foolishness. I know in my life, I've had many intercessors. My mother was probably one of the greatest intercessors there was who was praying for me when I was in the world that I would get saved. I remember a, a pastor by the name of, of Brennan Beeler was also one of those who would intercede on behalf of when I was so lost. And God had his intercessors for me. He has his intercessors for you. And if he has them for you, wouldn't it be right that you would be interceding for others? That you'd be praying for others? and loving others, and caring about their souls. Jesus is our great intercessor. He goes before us when we have all of our sin laid out before us in in the courtroom of, of heaven. Satan comes out, and he says, Here, look, God, your son Salvador has all these sins before him. And with, with the jury as God saying, is this true? Him knowing everything, saying, yes, yes, he does. He has all these sins before him. And I have to plead guilty at that moment. But then Jesus steps forward and says, yes, it, it is true. Salvador has all these sins before him in his life. He's committed them all. He's guilty as charged. 
But Father, I have taken his punishment. He's one of mine and he's one of yours. And at that point, Satan has to flee. And I'm welcomed into the kingdom even now. Let's be those intercessors. That's what Abigail was doing here. Look at verse 27. And now this present, which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the Lord of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. Her illustrations here of, of David's life, they're, they're beautiful and quite long. So sometimes I like to look at the New Living Translation of what is she saying uh, maybe in more modern English, and it helps us sometimes to just get a little more fruit. When I, when I study the Bible uh, and when I teach the Bible, I use the New King James, but the New Living Translation says this in verse 29, even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch, but the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. Let's look at verse 30. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Look at Abigail's humility also as she continues to call David Lord and also refers to God as Lord. See, Abigail knew David's life. She had heard of David's upbringing and how Saul was chasing after him. And she also knew that God was going to lead him to where God wanted him, which was the throne of Israel. I'm, I'm curious how she would have known this. I'm, I'm sure there, there must have been people talking about the situation with Samuel the prophet anointing David and now Saul chasing after David. See, Abigail saw that even as David was this man anointed of the Lord, she even saw his mistakes. She's saying, look, God is going to establish you, King David. And when he does establish you, you don't want to have to look back at this moment in shame that you would fight against Nabal and his household and kill all these people. So she now is stopping David from doing what he is so enraged to do. You know, oftentimes you, you're going to hear in your lifetime people telling you, hey, don't judge me, bro. Or, or doesn't the Bible teach judge not? And oftentimes that's, that's true. The Bible says judge not, but they don't finish the rest of that phrase, the rest of the Bible verse in context. It's taken out of Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. It, it reads this. I'll just read it to you. It says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? 
The Bible teaches on judging, that we are to, to judge righteously, and that it will be measured back to us. Again, in, in Luke 12, verses 56 and 57, it reads this. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? Yes, and why, even of yourselves, do you not judge what is right? You see, we're to judge righteously and know that what you judge, it's going to be dealt back to you. And why do we call people out for their sin? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, teaches us for restoration. It says this, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So this is why we judge. It's for restoration. Do we have that love in our heart for people before we're, we're going out and, and using the Bible to, to cut people down and to show and prove to people that they're sinners? Now, if we do give that correction, are we humble enough to also receive correction? Ah, that's the hard part, right? But I've witnessed in my life and many others' lives that the more you repent, the more peace comes, the more grace received. And as Christians, we'll never be sinless, but as we grow, we will sin less. So be able to take correction when it comes your way. Be quick to hear and slow to speak, the Bible teaches. In verse 32, it says, Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. One of the themes that we constantly see here in David's life is his ability to admit that he's wrong when someone calls him out for a wrongdoing. We'll see that again later on when the prophet Nathan calls him down for his great sin. And we do see Abigail's character that she is giving, hospitable, bringing the provisions to David. And in verse 36, now Abigail went to Nabal and there he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him for he was very drunk. Therefore she to hold him nothing, little or much until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. Then it happened after ten days that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Wow. You see, Nabal, we see his character like a rich king, so drunk, unaware of how close him and his entire house came to be ki killed by David and his men. And now when Abigail comes to him and tells him of the things that she gave to David and his men, it says that his heart died within him. This was uh, an emotional blow to Nabal. 
And perhaps he was concerned of his wife honoring David rather than, than him. Perhaps he was concerned that he almost died at David's hand. But either way, the Lord ends up striking him. You see, one thing I, I will note is that alcohol had caused Nabal to be spiritually unaware of what the Lord was doing and the Lord struck him. Verse 39. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. That's kind of interesting back then. They wouldn't do it themselves. They would just send, hey, you guys go ask her to be my wife. Not that that's even right nowadays, right? Culture. Verse 41, then she arose, bowed her face down to the earth and said, here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens. And she followed him, the messengers of David, and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. Uh-oh. But Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galem. Ah, so now we see a tangled web where David himself is marrying on a second wife, and then a third, and his first wife is given away to another man. Let me preface this by saying that God at no time in the Bible condones polygamy ever. In fact, he forbids it. In Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 through 19, it says this. This is from the New Living Translation. The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth and silver and gold for himself. When he sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself this body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. He must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. See, David here would have known the book of Deuteronomy. He would have, would have known that it wouldn't be God's will for him to multiply wives. But there David goes. And it's going to end up being uh, quite troublesome to him later on in his life. Chapter 26. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, is David not hiding in the hills of Hekilah, opposite Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hekilah, which is opposite Jeshimon by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him, into the wilderness. 
David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army, now Saul lay within the camp and with the people encamped all around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So now the scene is set up again. Saul's fast after David. David hiding in the wilderness. And then Saul and his men, they, they again camp. And Saul goes to sleep. And David and his men see this. And David, being quite courageous, he inspired men to follow him. So this man said to a, David said to Ahimelech, to Abishai, and Abishai was like, David, I'm going to go after with you. Do you want to know if you're a leader? Turn around and see if anyone's following you. That's how David's influence was for his men. So in verse 7, So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. And Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Uh, I remember this lesson uh, last Sunday. We went in depth on it, not to go against the Lord's anointed. In verse 10, David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day shall come to die or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head, and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep because of a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. See, previously, remember David, when he went to Saul and he cut off the portion of his robe, he actually felt convicted about just cutting the robe of Saul. So now here, a little more simply, he just took the water vessel and the spear. But notice, it notes, who gave him the victory here? It was God. For God caused the deep sleep to fall on these men. He let God do the work. In verse 13, Now David went off to the other side and stood on the top of a hill, afar off a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, who are you calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your Lord, the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. Wow, David is straight up calling out Saul's guard Abner right here. When David was being in pursuit from Saul and David turns around and calls out the man who was supposed to guard the Lord's anointed. That was the conviction that David had in his life regarding honor for the Lord's anointed. In verse 17, 
Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. You see, David is trying to reason here with Saul. He's trying to explain to him, look, don't be moved by men, but rather Keep your eyes on what God is saying. If God is calling you to seek me, then by all means, follow it. But if it's men, cease. And it's a lesson for us. Don't be pleasers of men. Don't be pleasers of women. For you'll never make them content. But seek to please the Lord and you will find contentment. The Bible teaches that godliness with contentment is great gain. In verse 21, then Saul said, I have sinned, return my son David, for I will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Look at how bipolar Saul could be at times. He would be loving David at one moment and then chasing him again to kill him. And then he would see, oh, David, he loves me. He's anointed of the Lord and he'd go back to loving him again. He reminds me of the man who is tossed by the wind that James teaches about. In James 1 verses 5 and 8, 5 through 8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. And this is Saul. In verse 22, And David answered and said, Here's the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord. Let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned his place. In conclusion, God is leading David even as the enemy is pursuing him. Here we see God is guiding David despite David's anger and rage that he was just about to murder and kill all these people. God was sovereign over this whole interaction. Even with with David marrying Abigail, God is still sovereign. God has plans for you. In Romans chapter 11, Verses 29 through 30, it says this. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet now have obtained mercy through 
their disobedience. See, we don't have to strive to get God's end for us. We just simply make ourselves available to receive it. Right now, I I love seeing how David is learning these lessons of surrender. To give it to God, even when he has the opportunity to take matters into his own hands. He trusts that God has a greater work and would rather be obedient. That was something Saul failed in. Saul would sacrifice and he would sin and then sacrifice expecting God to bless him. But the prophet Samuel taught him, for does the Lord desire burnt sacrifice and offering? No, the Lord desires obedience. And at times when there is trial and we're in a season of a wilderness, It can get hard. We can lose hope and faith that God has a plan, that he has a gift and a calling for us, that he has the end in mind. For me personally right now, I'm praying, God, what do I do with the church, Lord? How long am I going to be away from the people? When is this going to end? And and where will we go? What are we going to do? And then I hear God respond, Salvador. Whose church is it? I'm like, well, it's yours, God. Now, why are you worried? See, God, he's always going to take care of his church. See, he allowed us to lose the building. He allowed us to lose the the pleasantries of, of gathering together in fellowship. But he hasn't taken away the gift that was always there, available to us when we met together to read, to worship. You see, what is your gifting? What is your call? What about your job? What, what about your family, your, your education, and the relationships that you have? Are you controlling them and, and seeking to manipulate so you can be successful in them? I would encourage you to surrender them to the Lord. And that doesn't mean that God is going to cause you to just abandon them, but it means that you trust them with him. And it's a continual casting your cares and your worries upon the Lord daily with all of these matters. Don't you know God loves you so much? Maybe you've been trying to control your life so much that you're not fully surrendered to him. Don't you realize that Jesus has your best interest in mind? Eternally, forever, he does. And even in the situation that you're in today. I would encourage us all to take note of the lessons in David's life of surrendering to the Lord in the seasons of wilderness. In the seasons of trial, surrender to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if there's anyone, Lord, who needs to surrender to you, whether it be a a matter of the heart, Lord God, a matter of, of life, or a matter of salvation, Father, may you soften their hearts now. If that's you and you're listening uh, and you desire to give your life to the Lord, just repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. God, I surrender to you fully and completely. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Use me and anoint me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you're listening and you're going through a season of trial in the wilderness of trusting the Lord, I wanna pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are struggling to surrender to you in an area of their life. Lord God, I pray that you would allow them to look at you, 
to remove, Lord God, people from their, their hearts and minds concerning the issue. To trust, Lord God, that you have provisions, that you have, Lord God, you're all powerful to make a way to get them to where you want them to be. May they not strive. I pray you would take away anxiety and fear and worry and that you would, Lord God, just lay your plan out. May we trust you in every moment and be patient. Lord God, anoint us, fill us and use us, send us out. May we be those intercessors. In Jesus' name, amen. A quick announcement. Uh, if you guys... Um, or if you ladies and women would like to be a part of the uh, women's Bible study, they're going to be hosting that uh, this Friday, uh, I believe in the afternoon. And there is some information on uh, Facebook and, and YouTube. We'll, we'll put a little message on that. Uh, if you'd like to get involved with that, it's going to be awesome. Um, learning, it's going to be a Bible study. And I, I believe that they're going to be learning about trials. So I would encourage you ladies to, to take part in that. Um, but let's end with a, a song of worship and uh, we'll get this night trusting in the Lord. Sunday. In Jesus' name, be blessed.